do this, Bridge. Cheers. Game time. Slancha. Slancha. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back to the Bleeding Truth. My name is Sally McNally. I'm the Irish midwife. And I'm Bridget, Sally's daughter. This podcast is about women's health and my own personal stories as a midwife. So please like and subscribe and don't forget to hit that notification bell so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Thank you guys so much for for supporting us this far already. And also, before we get into today's stories, just want to say listener discretion is advised because some of the topics that we touch upon are for mature audiences only. Yes. And yeah, one last reminder is that if you didn't know already, Sally does uh, Q&As in every episode. So if you have any questions for a midwife, feel free to, to drop us that in the forum that it will be linked below and we'll answer in one of the future episodes. Great. So today's question is actually from one of my peers who is pregnant. And she wanted me to pass on the question to you. So uh, it's kind of a little bit of a setup. So I'll I'll explain her situation. Um, So she's pregnant. I think she's in her second trimester right now. But during her first trimester, she actually ended up getting COVID, which um, she, you know, was worried about, of course. But in that situation, she ended up going to a couple different doctors to get their opinion on, you know, the situation. And um, she had different recommendations from those doctors um one of them said you're totally fine a different one said you need to get induced a week early you know once you go have your baby um which means something's wrong in some sense and so she's kind of been you know getting different opinions and she doesn't really know if that's the right thing to do or why because she's having a, a normal pregnancy so far so she's not sure if that's the the right recommendations that she should be listening to or what it even means to be induced early into to, uh, child labor. Uh, so she wanted to, to get your opinion on that situation. Well, first of all, I'm really happy that you know what a second trimester is. That's so great. I barely do. <laughs> but it's wonderful um, that you're thinking about stuff like this and talking about stuff like this with your friends and um First of all, congratulations to your friend on her pregnancy. Yeah. How wonderful is that? Uh, we come across women who get infected with COVID all the time. And um, I'm happy to report that most of their babies are fine. And if you get infected with COVID in your first trimester, I don't see any reason how, why that would lead right. you to be induced a week early. I'm thinking that perhaps her obstetrician or her midwife may have found something other than that. Perhaps they she's a newly diagnosed diabetic. Perhaps mm. she has hypertension. There may be something else that we don't see to complete the whole picture of her pregnancy. But just being infected by COVID early in the pregnancy, mm-hmm. if she's cured and now she's fine, there I don't see any reason why. Yeah. she would be induced as far as i know she's fully healthy and doesn't have any health risks like yeah. that um, yeah so you know in that case is there do you think there's a lot of differing um approaches from midwives like in different locations just here in say california with or... regards to covid where i am i think we're all pretty much doing the same thing 
Mm-hmm. We're trying to advise women, you know, not to get COVID if possible. We pretty much across the board advise them to get the vaccinations that it seems to protect the baby a little bit too. What we worry about when a woman gets COVID in pregnancy is that she can go into premature labor, that Mm. the fevers um, affect the body in such a way that she starts to contract. And then the little baby may end up in the NICU and to end up in the neonatal intensive care unit you know, uh, is not the way anybody wants to start your life. Um, But NICU people, nurses and doctors in there are actually some of my favorite people in the world. I think they're (laughs) angels. I love NICU nurses. Um, They come, they're quiet in the back of the room and they like uh, save babies, just so, so kind, so gentle. Um, But that's a different story. Uh, but uh, I have, um, you know, been with women who are in labor while they're infected with COVID. And right. most of them, I, I'm happy to say, do just fine. Uh, we try to k- control their fevers with Tylenol. Uh, we check the baby. We, we continue to keep them together if possible. If the baby's not sick, then they stay together. And mom will have developed antibodies in her own bloodstream that she can then pass to the baby gotcha, yeah. Um, yeah. With, with breastfeeding. Yeah. And I've met some women, you know, who, um, I remember one woman just, uh, pretty recently, uh, last year, uh, during the height of the, you know, COVID numbers, um, she was streaming COVID. She was sick. Her mm-hmm. husband was sick. The two of them were sick. And, uh, we were trying to deliver her. She was in labor. She had her mask down here around her chin. And uh, I kept on saying, please, can you put your mask up? Oh. And she was, <laughs> she, she was, it was hard, you know, you're, you're sick and you're in labor. Um, but her, her answer to me was, but sure, I have it anyway. You know, that's what she said. I sure I have it anyway. What's the point of putting my mask up? I didn't answer her, but in my heart, I was like, that's really sad. She didn't care that she could infect everybody mm. else who are trying to help her now in labor. But, yeah. but you know, uh, most women, they're going to come in, they're going to be negative on a COVID test, even though they may have had COVID, um, mm. but they're going to be carrying the antibodies. And so many women we see have that story. Yes, I had COVID last year or you know, mm-hmm. at the beginning of my pregnancy. So... I hope your friend is not feeling anxious and worried and thinking, you know, something must be wrong. I'm sure that they're doing a good job of monitoring her baby and mm-hmm. checking the fluid levels. And yeah. uh, if she's if she's not um, sick right now, she should just stop worrying and uh, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I, check I, and check whoever said you should be induced at thirty nine weeks. Perhaps there was a, a secondary reason for that. Right. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely pass that on to her. But um, I think that's really fascinating that you've had to, you know, learn as you go. You know, what are the risks of mm-hmm. women in childbirth having COVID and such? Mm-hmm. But at least if it's you know, that early on, you don't have to worry about it. So yeah. Much. yeah, we we've relaxed a little bit. We're not as worried now, you know, yeah. um, 
We test the women when they come in to see if they're positive. And if they're not positive, of course, we're taking their masks off so that they could be more comfortable in labor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, I feel like that must be so hard. Awful, awful, yeah. yeah. It was, like, sweaty and stuffy and... Yeah. Oh. Did I forget to put makeup on one eye? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do that. I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I only put, I only put mascara I on one eye. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I didn't look like that. <laughs> okay. I was wondering if you, you've been following everything that's been going on in the news with Roe versus Wade. Yeah, I've been listening and uh, it's uh, kind of scary times that we're in. Of course, Roe versus Wade is very pertinent to the kind of work that I do. Um, I am a midwife, so of course my work is with the pregnant women trying to you know, bring them to term. And so I don't work directly uh, doing abortions in any way. Uh, but of course, some of my colleagues, uh, I know a lot of midwives who work in Planned Parenthood and uh, who provide portion, uh, abortion uh, in their, you know, practices. <clears throat> so it's it's a difficult conversation for any of us to have, mm-hmm. um, cause especially now for me, I'm an Irish midwife uh, brought up by the nuns in Ireland. Um, and for us we didn't have abortion as an option in Ireland when I was a young woman. It was against the law. And if a young girl wanted to have an abortion, she had to take the boat over to England where she could have one. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's only, um, it's only legal in Ireland just recently within like the last 10 years. Right. Right. I remember there was a huge like celebration about it or something. Yeah. They kind of like brought abortion and uh, divorce into Ireland at this around the same time. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. But uh, it's honestly, it's not really a laughing uh, matter. It's right. a very serious, very serious uh, discussion. And I always feel very conflicted with this because you know, uh, as a very young pupil midwife, as a student midwife, I remember one of our jobs, uh, we had to go out with the public health midwife uh, to visit the women in the community, women who were pregnant. Sometimes we'd come with breastfeeding support to the postpartum ladies. Um, and we do postpartum checkups in their home, which was so fun. I loved it. But I went with this midwife one day to visit um 15 year old uh, who was living in a kind of like a, a, a an old broken down house that wasn't like had no running water or plumbing or or like anything in it. it was all broken down she'd been thrown out of her house because she got pregnant and had her baby um and her boyfriend had gotten thrown out of his house. So I remember coming into this broken down house. There was broken glass and the door had no lock. And, and they were sitting on the floor with this filthy blanket and a filthy baby. And the two of them were smiling and talking to the baby. And there was rats running by the door, in and out by the door. And 
I was like horrified to see this scene. I was like, oh my God, we've got to like help them, take the baby off them, bring the baby to, you know, somewhere. And and the midwife was very religious and she was telling the girl what a good girl she was and what a great job she was doing. And I was like, what? This is craziness. And then on the way back to the hospital, I was like, they need help, right? They need social services. They need, you know, to be taken into a home. And she was like, oh, yes, and we'll try to help them as much as we can. But aren't they great? They saved their baby. They didn't take the boat to England. And now they have this beautiful baby. And I often wondered what happened to that baby. Um, And the baby looked, you know, fat and healthy. And I believe she was breastfeeding. So I hope everything worked out, but it was a very hard start. Um, right. But that was one that always stuck in my mind. And I remember also, you know, hearing every now and then of like very young girls that would die, you know, hiding their pregnancy or having their babies on their own. And one uh, uh, really struck a chord in Ireland um, in the 80s. She she was only 15 again and she went into labor. Nobody knew she was pregnant. Mm. And she went to a grotto where of the Virgin Mary, you know, and went in there and died at the grotto uh, or bled almost to death. And when they found her, she she died on the way to the hospital. But oh, wow. herself and her baby died there, you know, at the grotto. Um, and that doesn't seem right either. Right. That she couldn't like talk about it. She couldn't get the right help that she needed. Um, and then I've come across so many uh, situations where the girls couldn't tell their mother, you know, I'm pregnant. And all of a sudden she goes into labor and then they're all in the hospital and the m- parents are like completely shocked. I've seen that a few times, you know. I've delivered a couple of 11-year-olds and wow. then 12, 13, up, up, but 11-year-olds. And one 11-year-old, I can remember, she was in the hospital in Ireland very sick. She had pregnancy-induced hypertension or preeclampsia is another name for it that developed into eclampsia, which is seizures. Oh, wow. And she was so sick. She was so swollen. Her whole little body was bloated. She was having seizures. She was so sick. Um, An 11-year-old. That's a child. An 11-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And... I believe the baby lived. I believe that they got a live baby and she lived. Um, but it was like so horrific. And uh, then nobody would ever talk about who the father of the baby was. But we as young midwives, we were speculating, you know, that um, the, that it must have been a relative. Wow. Uh, that's what that's we, we got that feeling that it was a relative. But um, yeah. It was horrific, you know, and uh, what would would happen here? Yeah. In that case, like, can, is there anything you could do social services wise or does the baby go home with them? Well, yeah, I believe the baby went home with her. And of course, uh, social services always involved in something like that. Okay. Because I feel, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, there's no way nothing would happen if an 11 year old came in like. And the police as well. Yeah. Yeah. Holy Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, But that was the youngest. uh, But but I, of course, in Saudi Arabia, I saw some really young girls, young brides coming in, having their babies. 
That's so sad. Yeah. So certain cases stick in my mind. Like I remember um, a lady who had cancer of the spine. Oh, wow. And uh, this was in Ireland before abortion again. And I mean, she could have taken the boat over to England and had an abortion, but she wouldn't. Um, And she was dying and she wouldn't even take pain medication because she thought it would affect her baby. And I remember she was like fully pregnant and we used to hear her moaning in pain, not in labor, but in pain from the cancer of her spine. And she she had her baby and died like like really soon afterwards. So I, I have these memories, you know, of like, you know, really difficult situations. Right. But like, do you think that some of those would have been better off had they? Well, for the something? for the yeah. woman herself, I mean, her life could have gone on norm- normally, but perhaps... maybe not the cancer <clears throat> one. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, the cancer one, perhaps she could have had a certain type of surgery or treatment. You know, radiation, chemotherapy. She may have lived. You know, but. She, like, I mean, that's like a, a, a really a huge uh, example yeah. of giving your life for your child, right? right? And who are we to judge that she was wrong? I don't no, know. Yeah. But then I, I've met women like I, the woman that stays in my mind from here where I live. She was a prostitute in labor. She came somehow to Ventura from L.A. and... Uh, obviously you know had a lot of diseases and was really ill heroin addict um and uh, we were trying to find her story and then we realized well she's not from this area so nobody has seen her here she had no doctor in the area so she gave some address in la so we called the hospitals in that area and we found somebody who knew her and they were like do not let her take that baby home uh, one of her babies died it's under suspicious circumstances and all the other babies were in foster care right oh, do wow. not that was the warning that the the nurses were giving us do not let her take that baby home she's high high risk and she's hiv positive and other things too so so the poor lady uh she had her baby and she was obviously mentally um, ill also she had psychosis she had the baby and I remember um, we put the baby on her and we covered them up and we were like we better stay in the room you know she's high risk we gotta like stay with them and uh, then uh, she covered herself up with the blankets and uh, we could hear this kind of like licking sound you know and um we pulled back the blanket and she was licking her baby. She was licking her oh, baby. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was really sad. Um, so we tried to like help her and we tried to clean the baby and stuff and she just kept on licking the baby. So we got her a bottle to give the baby. She didn't want to breastfeed and we were like, we don't think she should breastfeed. And uh, uh, We were like in the room and we were like, oh, what's going on again? The blanket was over her head and... We said, well, we have to keep an eye on her. We pulled back the blanket and she's drinking the baby's bottle. She was drinking it all down. Uh Uh-oh. So we we met women like that, that you think, wow, how could she be a mom, you know? Mm -hmm. But the sad thing is she loved her baby. Like, of course, we had to take the baby and 
bring the baby to social services and her oh, wow. her relatives were going to come and take the baby. But the last I saw of that woman, she was standing, looking in the nursery window. At that time, we had a nursery where the babies would be in there. And she was standing, looking in with her little jeans on and her, her you know, you bleed a little bit after having a baby and the blood was coming through onto her jeans. And she was just standing there with her hands on the window, gazing in at her baby. You know, she loved her baby, you know. And it would have been so nice that if we had the right way to look after these people that they could be together. But it was impossible. And that was the last I saw of her um, because she left the hospital and went off into her wildlife, gone again. Wow. So so there's a lot of... uh, Women, you know, I see not a lot, but every now and then we come across a woman delivered the baby and she doesn't want to look at the baby. There's no, she has no feeling. She doesn't want to look at the baby. She doesn't want to touch the baby. That there's no bonding. And sometimes the bonding comes slowly over a few hours. Um, But sometimes we don't know. Sometimes that baby goes home with a mom that doesn't bond. Uh, And sometimes we, we see situations, Bridget, where we can't tell you know, uh, is that a baby born uh, due to a rape or, you know, was she being abused by the father of the baby in some way where she's not happy about the pregnancy, you know? Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm and, sure you see like all of the worst possible yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, and all of those are the... The, the reasons that people use to support abortion that that say yeah. you know perhaps you know these women and they're, they're like the wilder outside uh reasons and then the other reasons are she's really young or she's not ready or she yeah. it, it's a surprise or she has like already six children and she uh you know there's so or she's sick or the mom is sick and that uh, to to have a baby like that lady with the cancer she could have, you know, uh, made the decision not to have the baby and she could have lived for her other children. Right. So it's a really, really tough, tough thing to talk about or even to think about. Right. Or to decide whose decision it is. Exactly. Yeah. It should, you know, come down to the woman herself. Like, on the other hand, I come across women who are trying to get pregnant, you know, Um women who need surrogates uh, mm. uh, to have their babies or, or women who I come and I have to tell them your early pregnancy didn't make it. You know, people oh. don't understand how often that happens. You know, maybe maybe 10% of the early pregnancies don't make it. Sometimes women don't even know that they were pregnant. Oh, wow. But then the women who are like watching their ovulation and watching to see if the period comes and then, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. And uh, some women have um, recurrent abortions, you know, recurrent spontaneous abortions where Mm. they were pregnant yesterday and now for some reason, sometimes it's a genetic reason or um, we don't know why those early, early pregnancies, uh, suddenly they're not pregnant. Yeah. And when I see the sadness and feel the sadness in them, um, it's so sad that, you know, that 
they couldn't get a baby from someone who didn't want their baby. You know, if there were, if only things were even and fair. Yeah. Um, it seems it seems so sad with those ladies who who lose their babies. I always and when I see the sadness and feel it, I always tell them, you know, write a little letter to that baby. Tell that baby what they meant to them. You know, tell the baby the name that you would have given them. Tell the baby the things that you had planned for them or or the excitement you felt when you saw the positive pregnancy test that they have to grieve. They have to grieve in some way and I tell them to leave that letter, you know, on running water so that it runs, not like to let the baby go, but to make space, you know, in their heart for mm-hmm. maybe the next, the next baby. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've also come across like situations like babies, you know, that would be born who are incompatible with life that cannot live. Right. You know, before abortion we would have had a lot more um, babies born with severe abnormalities that they couldn't live with. And I've seen plenty of that. Um, But in Ireland, you know, we were taught that if the baby was born alive with an incompatible situation, we would hold the baby until they did. They died. Like somebody would be assigned to stay with that baby and hold the baby if the mother wasn't able or, you know, didn't want to a midwife would stay with that baby until they die. Wow. Is that only in Ireland? Uh, well, you know, I'm sure it's not only in Ireland. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember um, a few situations, you know, where there's different things like an anacephalicus where the top of the brain wouldn't have formed, where it's kind of like open oh, and wow. not forming. But the baby might be born alive. And... Yeah. Uh, sometimes that would take hours for the baby to die, but we would hold those babies until they died. As a, you know, that the, there's life, there's wow. little spirit in there somewhere. And out of respect to the baby and the family and life itself, you know. Um, so it's a very difficult thing. And now, like these babies, perhaps parts of their little body could be donated to other babies. Oh, wow. You know? Um, so there's I didn't even really think about like the donation side of yeah. I guess that does happen yeah but uh, I, I mean I've seen babies born with severe abnormalities like conjoined twins in Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia or oh, wow. I remember one baby born with no eyes but no eye sockets like completely closed off and whoa. it felt like whoa like a trap like a like a horrible situation that the baby was trapped inside their own head. That's how I felt when I looked. And and I'm I'm sure if that was like seen on an ultrasound or or that genetic problem mm-hmm. was picked up in an early um genetic screening here, the mom would have been given the option of aborting that baby because there were there was other abnormalities too. Wow. Um, but maybe that person is alive and maybe they're living a good life. You know, right? Um, who's to know? You know how, what? Wow! Um, but some abnormalities are just—they're incompatible or really difficult. Like yeah. some babies can be born. You know, sometimes we come across a situation. Here's another situation where a woman might go into premature labor. Her membranes might rupture like really early. 
and she might go into premature labor. Some women, they want that baby. They don't want anybody to disturb it. They want to keep it in as long as they can, every minute that they can to to try and give their baby a, a chance at life. And some women will say, well, it's obvious my baby would have severe um problems so it's okay to you know let me labor don't try to stop it so and then there's like at what stage do the doctors decide to do that yeah yeah so like i remember when we used to save the babies at 24 weeks and that was like wow you can save a baby that's 24 25 weeks now it's down to 22 weeks wow but the younger they are of course I, th- I think it's like one in 10 babies. 22, are, isn't that like half? Or no, no, no. Where, where's it, it's just 22? a tiny bit over half, but it's wow. It's like really hard for, for the NICU people to be able to save those babies. You know, like I think it's like one in 10 that might actually go home. I, right. I don't know. The and then do you know, do you know anything about how that, that child or person will compared to its peers say like that's they the grow thing up. you know it depends on how well they did during their time in the NICU and mm-hmm. uh, they would spend months and months in there yeah and of course it ends up with being really high uh, bills you know mm-hmm. high insurance but I mean just and... like you know it, it I'm sure it's not the same as being in the womb as they should be right they're probably oh. Yeah. still going to lack some of the developmental i don't know i'm not an expert but well that's something yeah. that you'd have to follow them you know yeah um, that would be a really good study i wonder yeah. if oh, there's I'm some sure out there's there. lots there's maybe lots. maybe yeah, we could look into study. that but, wow. but <clears throat> maybe we should have a nikio person come and talk to us about that that would be really interesting yeah let's yeah. do all of that yeah, but these babies their little skin is see-through that sometimes they they're wrapped like in a kind of a plastic and they're put into like a situation that's like they try to recreate the womb. Oh, okay. the uterus. wow. They yeah. try to recreate that and they're such geniuses um, wow. how they they save these children. Yeah. That's crazy. And for the women who want those babies so badly, of course, everybody wants to do the best they can for the children yeah. um, I can remember one lady she had t- a twin pregnancy and she lost the first twin and the second twins membranes were bulging out through the cervix so we put her on an incline like this with her head down for like a week she was like this in the bed to keep the membranes wow. in to get her past the 23 weeks or whatever it was so that then she could have that wow. baby and it had a chance of survival and wow. she would have willingly stayed like that for a year. She loved her baby so much. She would have willingly. Yeah. Um, yes. That's baby, wild. Little baby yeah. Liam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like contraception comes in to, to our conversation a little bit too. Like, you know, if they take away a woman's right to, to choose whether to have an abortion or not, will the, the right to contraception disappear as well? Yeah. I I doubt it. I think it's like kind of a, a fear. People get really extreme and they think they're going to take away all of our rights. Um, 
this is so but serious. Still, yeah, it's yeah. it is such like just just even the the topic is something that I think is worth. But I have a about. funny story. Uh oh. <laughs> when I think of contraception, I have a recent funny story. Have you? But I won't share that. Oh, I you want tell to me yours. It. You don't want to hear it. I do. I do. Mine is um, at home in Ireland. Um, my my mother was such a darling woman. Uh, but uh, she didn't know a whole lot about contraception or anything like that. But um, this day, my father um, was all upset because the drain in the uh, from the house, you know, the sewer drain was blocked. So Uh-oh. he had to go down and he always was a do-it-yourselfer, right? He had to go down with this thing called a snake, like a big thing to push it on and clear <laughs> it out, right? so he was able to clear it out but when he pulled back his snake thing his drain thing there was a condom on the end of it so there was a condom that had got stuck in our drain now the house had six teenage daughters at the time right and Um, no boys and no boys so my father marched us all out into the garden (laughs) and my mother was like going on what's going on and he stood there with the condom in his hand like this and he said who owns this who does this belong to and he's holding the condom and it's like shaking in his hand oh the condom and we're all like looking shocked shocked at this scene right and my mother looks at it and she says what is it pat (laughs) what is that And she said, never, or he said to her, never mind, Kathleen. Now, come on, girls, tell me which one of you own this. And she's like still saying, but what is it? And my one of my sisters said, it's a condom. And then somebody else said, maybe it's Maria from next door. <laughs> maybe it belongs to <laughs> but um, no, but I don't think anybody ever admitted to, no one admitted to it. And how could it be coming from this house with six girls? <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, but that just, my mother didn't know what a condom was. Yeah, but she had six children. Yeah, it was a different time. <laughs> but I'm glad she yeah. didn't find out because I was the last of the six children. Maybe if she'd found out what they were, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> now your funny story i don't know if you want me to share my funny story i'll (laughs) start it okay so about two or three weeks ago i was home at your house (laughs) (laughs) okay don't go on okay okay (laughs) i told you you didn't want me to share it okay (laughs) my god so yeah we'll we'll move on um ask us in the question form if you really want to hear that story (laughs) um yeah i think i think jokes aside um Mm. it's it's a very important topic that i'm glad like we get to talk about it's hard to talk about isn't it yeah it's hard to talk about because uh you're you're like nervous to let everyone know what you're thoughts on the subject are because you might 
lose friends. You might, you know, um, insult people or it's a really tough one. Yeah. Plus, I mean, I understand your situation. It's professional. You have to deal with all the cases. So um, not sharing your exact opinion is understandable. I feel like personally, I'm pretty clear on my my stance on it because um, I guess I think about what I would want if I had different Mm -hmm. circumstances. You know, if I was to to find out I'm pregnant right now, there'd be no way I'd afford it because I one I would love that, but also I know I'm lucky enough that I can support someone if I'd have to. You know, I have the support system in my life to help me figure it out um, if that was the case. But I think if I had other situations, having having an option to save my own life or to have a kid at a time where I was or am more stable could make a huge difference in that kid's experience. Right. You know, yeah. so I I definitely i guess that's kind of where my stance is personally just where mm-hmm. you know you depending on your life circumstance it could have a huge impact on that kid's life so it, yeah. it should come down to the the mom's um decision at least yeah. in, my, in my eyes but um i think that we need to you know keep options open for women we need to not judge women. We need to support women. We need to yeah. lift each other up um, and not tear each other down. And we need to educate young women, especially yeah. children. Education is key to this. Yeah. Yeah. To start early education in the schools, not to like keep it all secret until it's too late. And then all of a sudden she's like 15, pregnant with no options, mm-hmm. you know. You know wonder... what's really interesting what? budget right now? I keep coming across these young women who are studying their own fertility, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's how they don't get pregnant. And yeah. I think that's so interesting nowadays that, I mean, there's all forms of contraception, and there's wonderful ones, brilliant ones. I think it's amazing, all the options that we have now. But then there's studying your own fertility, and if women have a lovely regular cycle, they can pin down the few days that mm-hmm. they have a, fer- a fertile time. Right. And if they want to get pregnant, they'll have lo- make love during those days. If they don't want to get pregnant, they'll avoid those days. Right. And, um, I know a couple people that track it fully just by taking their temperature. Like every yeah. morning they take their temperature and it, somehow they're able to track it yeah they should watch i couldn't do that because i'm not consistent enough on anything (laughs) but they should watch their cervical mucus as well like they um, probably do the cervical mucus is a really big you know indicator of fertility maybe that'll be another podcast we could get into uh, all all the different birth control options and stuff that are out there right super super cool Yeah, so maybe we should leave it at that for now, huh? Because I have to get to work. Yeah, you have to get to work. I have to get to work. (laughs) (laughs) We're busy. And thank you guys for for listening. I know it was nearly, you know, too long since our last episode, but we are working on it. I'm moving, so 
my background's going to be changing <laughs> and she's hard to get it on, on an appointment because she's got so many different things going on with work and but I love doing this with you yeah. Bridget it's me too it's like we're like learning about each other as well <laughs> we we have to like make ourselves do this officially in order to <laughs> to share some things <laughs> is that normal I don't know um no no uh, well we we're not perfect <laughs> no so um, thank you guys for listening. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. It means the world to us. And we'll yeah. see you in the next episode. And next episode, I'm going to tell you the bloodiest story I have. Oh, no. I'm going to tell you my whole bleeding truth. <laughs> Thanks a million. Thanks a million.